Good morning, vendors and non-vendors alike, and welcome to Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nick.com's Legend of Korra series. This week, the ground quakes and Republic City falls to Kuvira's gambit. Kuvira's love does cost a thing to Batar Jr., and that thing is an exploding future industries factory. Plus, Zuli does or doesn't do the thing. Kaboom! Matt, Dave, Davindra, and Joanna. Hello and welcome to another episode of Republic City Dispatch. I'm Matt Patches. With me as always, Devendra Hardawar. Hello, hello. Joanna Robinson. Hello. And the three of us have rescued Dave Gonzalez from a hanging cage in Kuvira's camp slash factory. I, I, I saw the camps, guys. You saw the camps. <laughs> I, did a little, I did a little investigation, Sarah Caning-wise, and wow. unfortunately, some very serious conclusions. I, I think Kuvira might be up to something, and it's okay, but we got like two weeks before to like prepare. <laughs> Dave's 10-part expose on the, the crimes, more, the war crimes committed by Kuvira will be running more after More conclusive than serial. Wow. <laughs> I met a man claiming to be the son of Jet, which made me confused, as I believe Jet died. Oh, Jet. Of... Sorry. R.I.P. Jet. Um, we're talking about Kuvira's Gambit today. Lots to unpack here. First, Dave, what happened in a nutshell in this <clears> episode? <throat> Uh, Cora and the good guys in Republic City think that Kuvira plans to attack the city in two weeks' time, thanks to Zuli's intelligence. So they start an evacuation of the city and an accelerated construction of flying mechs, while Team Avatar goes to stop Kuvira's spirit weapon because they think it's on the rails headed towards the city. But it turns out that Kuvira's army is coming a week early, and they're moving the spirit weapon on a giant Goliath of a mecha suit. So even though General Iroh scrambles, Kuvira takes out the Navy before the battle even begins, and Raiko surrenders. Korra, unwilling to give up, kidnaps Batar Jr. with Tenzin Bumi and the Metal Clan, to try and convince him to turn on Kuvira's doom machine. Finally, Korra's threat to keep Batar away from Kuvira works, or it looks like it does, until Kuvira double-crosses her fiancé and blows up the factory and every- everyone and the flying mech tanks that were hiding inside. Oh. Also, Zuli is back and wants to be Varric's equal. Prince Wu has his king speech moment and shows leadership through a urination monologue. <laughs> It was a king speech moment. Aww. So much radio it was. in this episode. Well, I mean, we gotta we gotta keep with uh, all our world's wars parallels as yeah. we keep going forward, and that's totally what Prince Wu did. I, I love Aww. it. I, it's becoming more apparent and more on the nose. Just the he, historical references. It's absolutely wonderful. He firthed it up, man. <laughs> uh, before we get that job, yeah. that's a happen. It's a historical thing. You realize, <laughs> not just the guy that couldn't be Paddington. What? What? You're kidding me. What? Paddington? Paddington Yeah, didn't Firth get yeah, didn't he get booted off of the Paddington? No, I think he purposefully left. Yeah. The Paddington scandal. That you You can't find you think they booted Firth for Ben Wishaw? You think Firth is a poor man's Ben Wishaw? No. All right, we're off topic. While voicing bears. (laughs) Getting into very serious top and emotional. Uh, <laughs> topic for Joanna. So this is territory, scary territory. Oh uh, yeah, this is way off topic. <laughs> Baba dude. Everybody. Oh god. Now you're just throwing random things out there. Uh, before we get too deep into the conversation, I did want to say thank you to everyone who's been participating in the talkbacks on our episode pages and on RepublicCityDispatch.com as always. Uh, and despite us being this is the penultimate episode of the show, I guess because it's an hour long finale. There's two more episodes, uh, but this is the last half hour before we enter the finale zone um and despite that i would still recommend people hit up itunes subscribe to the podcast if you've never left a review do so now because uh, we need to validate cora as this amazing dramatic experience and i think in some ways is this a bold claim to say that this podcast somehow validates the dramatic exercise that is 
the legend of Korra. Like we're taking it extremely seriously, and people I, I who think, write off cartoons, yeah, need to wait. I think up by the time by the time good. we're done, we will have covered all of the Korra material, and that is, only exists here. That is crazy. Yeah. So if we want to help get that out there, uh, one final bump in the last in the last moment here via iTunes reviews and ratings and and reblogs on Tumblr and all that jazz uh, would be amazing. So thanks to everyone who has been doing that already. All right. Kuvira's Gambit. Dave, you've seen the uh, the camps. She's evil. We know <sighs> this. But yeah. maybe maybe she's become <laughs> more evil. Well, it's her in this in this episode. Someone in our comics pointed out that this is her irredeemable act. So although it's been very obvious that she has been evil from a storytelling perspective, this is the thing that she does. This is the killing the puppy or the thing that we actually see her do that now means she can't be redeemed. So it wasn't Hitler's concentration camps that made him irredeemable. It was killing Eva Braun. That, that, that's what did it. Like, that's crazy. The we, camps, we'll, she okay. had to have already been irredeemable. <laughs> way, way back when moment. we started, we talked about the camps for the first time when the camps were brought up. I said that, like, yes, that makes like a person evil, but in terms of television, until you see them do something irredeemable, the irredeemable act that makes your villain a villain, like, usually that's way up at top. You know, like, if it's, we're, I don't know, we always talk about Buffy. So, like, the master is evil right at the top. But someone like Kuvira isn't irredeemable until they do the one irredeemable act, and this one's just far clo- too close to the end of the no. uh, series. And I just I never agreed with you on that. I think, and um, <laughs> just because I think Kuvira from the top when she was bullying old men. I mean, yeah, I guess she could have come back from like bullying bullying old villagers. But when you hear that there are camps involved, I think I really think that was the turning point. Um, I don't think. Is it crazy to think that she's not irredeemable? Like, uh, <laughs> yes. wait, wait, wait. Let me let me explain that. Let me explain that point. She, you're right. She's not. She's not redeemable. But she is not someone you necessarily have to kill. Right. We don't have to slay this woman and get. Right. I don't know. Like, there's we always. We don't do that in this world, technically. Right. Yeah, yeah. We we. The interesting thing about this episode is we get to see how misguided she is and how power has kind of overcome her sensibilities and her, her her sensitivity, right? We know that she's kind of a good person at heart. We started that. And it's just become more about claiming the world and, like, pushing her worldviews on the rest of the society. At her core, she's not a bad person. <laughs> and maybe <laughs> maybe there's people in the world who would say the same about Hitler. Uh, but I don't know. I, there's I a lot of horrible like, things um, that she's done that are irredeemable. I do. I feel like... You know, I, I kind of see her point, but, you know, we had uh, Zaheer last season, and uh, he was a much deeper thinker, and I feel like he had this whole underlying philosophy behind him, and I really felt for him, and I felt kind of like, uh, I don't know, I felt in a way that I support what he was doing, uh, I, in a way I support what Aman was doing. I can't really right. see the, uh, you know, the moral standing Virtue. for supporting, yeah. yeah. There's for not a lot of upside to just dominating the world and ruling. Uniting things sounds yeah, great, great except, uh, you know, except for the people not, who are like, Yeah, exactly. If she, <laughs> if she were painting herself as a liberator, right. like the great liberator, and was able to concoct you know, come after Ryko for a corrupt presidency and try to free the people of Republic City as, you know, as flimsy as that might be, that's better than the great uniter in terms of I want it all. I want the whole world. That's her right, right. that's her motto. Yeah, so, she's really decimating Republic City, you know, if you want to include it in the kingdom, 
you're not gonna have a lot left if you just blow mm-hmm. it all away. It's pretty. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to make this too world leadership complex. But Republic no, cities, Republic cities, just Israel. They lifted it out of the Earth Kingdom mm-hmm. and made it its own little island. They're like, this belongs to everybody now. So before we say Kuvir is completely in the wrong, I don't think she's completely in the wrong until she decides to blow up her fiance and lie about it. Sure. But, like she's she's reclaiming the the Earth Kingdom that I we just, saw in the Promise. I never saw her being uh, like uh, she says this is all for the Earth Kingdom, but I've never seen her actually support you know people in the Earth Kingdom properly. Right, no, it she always puts seems them to in about, camps. Exactly, it seems to be more about her than about her mission. Whereas all the other villains was really, except for maybe uh, second season, um, I think they were more about the grander vision that they were professing. I think. In the end, this season is about how someone like this can emerge, right? A thoughtful person can become evil and out of balance by striving to put the world into balance. Yeah, yeah, and I believe that she did start with virtuous intentions to Mm -hmm. a certain degree, but I also think it was fueled by some sort of arrogance that she knew better than Sue how to rule, and um, she could do a better job. That's part of it. Yeah. And that there's a virtuous side to that. And then there's also just an arrogant, power-hungry side to that. And uh, I think those things took over her. But I think it happened off screen. And by the time we met her, she was, like, in this season, she was already a monster mm-hmm. and bullying people and having secret death camps or whatever. Yeah, that so. ending of book three has become so important now. Yeah. Remember Kuvira saving Korra's father and like being a great soldier and being the mm-hmm. ally to Sue. Uh, those those last minute moments that kind of raised our eyebrows last season are essential to the the arc here, and they, we need to keep them in mind even now. Because uh, a commenter of ours, Rob Grizzly, very smart person, um, asks us, uh, "Does Kuvira's choice make her one dimensional?" For him. It does, kind of. Uh, I, I wonder what you guys think about that. I, I don't see her as one-dimensional, despite her becoming focused and narrowed, uh, because we have this whole arc, and it's been kind of expertly crafted here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems more about her losing sight of humanity uh, in the uh, in her pursuit of a mission or of power or something. Um, in, I, I guess in every way, right, all of these villains reflect potential dangers for uh chorus personality too because you know now that she's the alt you know super powerful avatar and everything uh there there's a temptation to just like go around the world and like just force everybody to think one way mm-hmm. and this kind of shows the dangers of that mm-hmm. i i think it's also kind of looked like it was kuvira uh, she does a lot of uh risk management as she's planning yeah. her giant gambit and there was one weak spot and it got turned against her, and it seemed like, you know, she was a little disappointed, but, like, the best thing is if someone knows how to take down your giant mech suit is to kill that person regardless if it's your fiancé or not. And it's not like she wasn't going to stop at that point, and so she wasn't going to, you know, also betray Batar and let him live, so might as well betray him and blow him up. (laughs) Dave is going to be the scariest world dominator. Might be. Well, okay, so we're talking. We'll be running about, small like, government in Colorado, so we won't have to worry about it too much. It's the first out of balance decision in in the series because it's the first time that Cora actually takes something away from Kuvira that she wasn't at some point planning that Cora could take away from her or would try mm-hmm. to take away from her. So it it, it definitely. I don't know. It, it's, it's the irredeemable act. 
that's why it's the irredeemable act for me is because everything else it's like sort of went to this plan and Kuvira got where Kuvira wanted to be regardless and this one it seems like she kind of had to improvise and that her improv- improvisation was to kill her fiance and that's pretty <laughs> evil what did, yeah. I think it's I think it's revealing but not like it doesn't tip a scale for me that that scale was already tipped but i do think you're right that like yeah she's this is kuvira improvising and that's scary well um, i mean like is that the final look that we get go off of of her that's her coming to terms with what she just did which at least points to some sort of humanity right joe mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah she's bummed that she had to kill her puppy for sure really i don't know <laughs> i'm still on the fence about this i don't know if it's so deep or if it was that difficult for her uh, i don't know it how... seemed as soon as she heard him talking about this that they were trying to use him as leverage she kind mm-hmm. of cut the mic and was like prepare the laser you, to do. you know lock onto this phone call because we're about to blow them to smithereens and well, i can... i really am fascinated by the the beginning of this episode yes and this yeah. like weird hug yeah. that they share and i was curious what you guys thought about that um because the intro i love the intro to this episode it's very uh i think in my screen crush recap i mentioned lenny reifenstahl that it just feels like <laughs> not Nazi propaganda, and I'm kind of like rah rahing along with them when they're all hail the great uniter because you just kind of get swept up in it. She's very, she's a great speaker. No, not, not really. I snapped out of it. Don't worry. Come that's, on, Patches. that's what great pop- propaganda does. That's what, <laughs> because she's like after the Hundred Year War, you know, they stole the Earth Empire land. I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, maybe they did. They did. Uh, they lifted it out of the ground and made it an island. Yeah. Those, <laughs> Wow, could they? Uh, um, okay. For two seconds, I was on their time. And then they had the creepy hug, and it was like, Yeah, I want to talk about the hug, because when the hug popped up, because uh, we talked last week about whether or not Batar was redeemable. Like, with his moment about his sister, we're like, uh-oh, okay, what's happening with Batar? Should we watch that? So then when they had that hug, I, I, on the one hand, I was like, okay, they're addressing the fan question. I mean, not actively because they already had these completed before the fans were asking the question, but they are addressing the fan question. Does Kavira actually care about Batar or is this a marriage or engagement of convenience? And I believe in that hug, we're supposed to see that she does in her psychopathic, <laughs> sociopathic way care about him. Mm-hmm. But then that sets off alarm bells for people already looking at Batar, if you see that hug, I just wish they had seeded it a little bit better earlier in the season and shown them be more affectionate and caring I mean, to each do other. They have romantic moments early on when they're like lovey-dovey talking about getting married in one of the first, I think that might Did be they? the first episode that they have kind of a, yeah. a lovey-dovey yeah. moment. But she's a very cold personality. And when you see her hug him in this in the sequence, her smile, I'm just like, is she thinking about... <laughs> The war is she think is she like imagining <laughs> blasting Republic Z into oblivion, or is she like actually feeling warmth from Batar Junior? I don't. I didn't feel a lot of connection in that hug, despite yeah. them it physically felt, connecting. It well, felt he's dark. connected. Like the thing. The thing. It right. It transmits is that he cares a lot, and she cares as much as she has any humanity left to care. But isn't he I talking think. about like taking over the world and ruling with her as a queen? Yes. Like she's yeah. getting off on the power, yeah. not him. 
Chili, chili. That's that's the romantic side. Like it's a weird romantic thing this whole season, right? This has been like a Bonnie and Clyde uh, adventure for them in a way, right? They're like that together. They've you know brought the Earth Kingdom together, together, and now they're gonna keep going. They're gonna keep going as far as it can go. Um, it, like Joanna, you mentioned, it seemed like this all happened quickly to Kavira's turn. It reminds me a lot of uh, something from Battlestar Galactica. A great um, Michelle Forbes character in that show. Helena Kane. Uh, she was a great character, kind of an- another sort of like tyrant. And they actually did like a separate movie just to show, like, uh, give us a little more history and flesh into that character. We hope we maybe at some point get something like that about Kavira because that would be fascinating. I don't think we're going to get the Potter more of. <laughs> Legend of Korra that is really going to fill these blanks the way we want. J.K. Rowling will not be writing Legend of Korra fan fiction for us, unfortunately. Uh, Boo! Why not? <laughs> Who cares about what the where where to find magical beasts for two movies? I don't. <laughs> no, she writes. She basically writes fan fiction on, on Potter World. Well, we have the comics, and that's like we well, learned I so mean, much from the comics that inform this episode. I mean, if you if you really know the story of how <laughs> Republic City's formation, you kind of it's from all the comics. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing is like we, J.K. Rowling's just writing fan fiction. We say in the sequel series, in the fourth season of a sequel series, to Avatar: The Last Airbender. <laughs> so I guess there is more more parallels there. I just okay. The thing for me about this episode, I'm going to use this to segue to talking about the giant mech, <clears throat> is. Like entire series, at least Korra, has been built around how like bending and technology come together. That even though it was really cool and it made for some really uh, amazing moments this week and a very big visual metaphor for Kuvira's uh, own thoughts about herself towering over the army to like a very David and Goliath sort of thing coming with Korra and Kuvira. There's just something about how the mech suit works like they just they went a little bit too far in the design area and now i'm like we've seen all these like you bend lightning to create electricity and there's like tank treads and like we spent so much time in the drill and avatar the last airbender and looking at like slurry and supports and stuff and this one it's just like well she pulls some levers okay that's cool i get it and then she raises her arm and like and then the thing raises its arm so like in my mind i'm like is she bending the arm with metal bending and if so why don't you just put six benders below it pulling downwards because like kubira is <laughs> not the big. avatar i mean it's it's not that it's too big it's that the mechanics of it are lesser than everything else we've seen how it like works in this series so i don't think we're going to be like it's not going to be brought down from the inside with a whole bunch of gears because I haven't set that up. It's just like, I don't know if sacri- if the cool image of the way it aims its BFG on its arm is worth the sort of sacrifice what? to the design. I think of it the definitely mech. is. Like her bending inside of, yeah. of on the deck is mm-hmm. a really, really cool image, I think, because it makes it, Patch has said this in his Screen Crush review, but it makes it so personal. It's mm-hmm. not just her calling cold commands to people pull levers. It's her actually doing, aiming that big cannon at her fiance. Yeah, right. It's better than the Death Star because she pulls the lever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we get to and, see it, too. Like, I love yeah. that she's controlling it yeah. uh, with with metal bending. That's really yeah. cool just by I design. Agree. It's very sniper scope too. Like mm-hmm. I think that's the most yeah remote. I don't know. Remote killing is a very weird thing, right? It's always impersonal because we have like drones and crap now and uh, people throwing bombs at things. But the sniper 
is always a weird thing. And I think uh, I haven't seen American Sniper yet, but you can see that in that trailer. Just the sort of like, you know, you hit a button and you are directly responsible for seeing somebody die, but you see it too. Uh, mm. It feels very similar. Right. We get to no, see her. The, we get to see objects in her crosshairs. Yeah. Which is a frightening image. I, especially I like with that. a giant I, cannon. <laughs> I like that aspect of the design that the target is the Earth symbol on the front of the thing's mm-hmm. head. I'm just saying, like, you know, there's a giant gun on an arm. Like, I don't get it. Why? Because it doesn't kick. Watch. And it wouldn't have been on a train if it kicked. Right. Pay attention. So, like, we're going towards the this is cool uh, over the this has, like, a, I don't know. I I kept comparing it to the drill because it's like the drill was this huge thing that people didn't like because we spent so much time breaking it down from a mechanical standpoint. But that felt so real in a world that wasn't used to a machine that big. And now, once again, we have a machine that's bigger than anything that we saw. And I'm having trouble feeling the realness of it in this world. You don't see any metaphoric value? Oh, no. I I see only metaphoric value Mm -hmm. uh, where it's like someone in our... Someone in our comments said that Korra has the big power within a small body and uh, Kuvira is the small ego within a giant empty power thing. And I thought like that metaphor is really good in terms of just like different sizes. Or then like, yeah, like I was saying before, you have like a David and Goliath thing. I think the silhouette when it blows stuff away right before the first act break is amazing. I'm just saying in terms of design, if anything failed this episode, I didn't buy the mech suit in this world. I just thought it was cool. They've been mm-hmm. setting it up, though, for quite some time. They keep being like, the domes of Zalfu. Why are you taking Why the domes Why did they down? take them? Yeah. They, they, no, they set it up really well, but I still gasped when yes. like, the giant legs come in from like the mist. And I was like, oh, God, Iron <laughs> Giant, but so scary. <laughs> it was so really scary. Good. I kind of yeah. I love the design of it too because it's clearly listed uh, lifted from Neon Genesis Evangelion. Just the uh, the shape of the mech right. and the way it moves, it kind of like lurches forward and its arms aren't fully supported. They just kind of hang down in this weird like zombie like way. Uh, that's very inf- Evangelion, and I don't know uh, that that series was just so formational yes. for me as the a last young anime person. trope, really, yeah. that we haven't hit yet. They found exactly. ways to put everything into this show. That's a good uh, point. But but and and yet it doesn't feel cheap like that. Mm-hmm. I rewatched. I was telling you guys before the podcast that I rewatched the finale of book two the other day with the uh, kaiju, the big kaiju fight at the end, which felt more like kind of a tip of the hat to the tradition of anime. And also, someone in our comments schooled us on kaiju. The, the definition <laughs> oh, of specific... Kaiju? kaiju is strange creature, but yes, dai kaiju is giant kaiju, so I should be saying dai kaiju fight at oh, the end up. of book two. How <laughs> oh, <laughs> But, um, yeah, which, which that, that fight is extremely effective and has come up, obviously, in the conversations about this giant mech suit, because people are like, just turn into a giant spirit core and go punch her. Uh, that was George W. Bush you know, <laughs> yelling You're at that Tumblr. kid from uh, Bob's Burgers. Uh. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I didn't, I didn't find that book two finale to be as effective mm-hmm. as this reveal, as this character. It, it did make logical sense to me, Dave. I felt like they could innovate this far, mm-hmm. um, especially because that's Kuvira's ambition. She's been doing it since the beginning, since we've seen the train and seen her use metal bending and seen the mechs that she's built. Uh, it felt like a logical extension to me that this would be her final move. And, and, uh, and, and without, I mean, it tips its hat to the traditions of anime, but it also felt... Just yeah. like it felt real too. That's what this. That's the weird mm-hmm. part. Like I think part of the sound design of the laser makes it feel very real, and the way yeah the reveal through the clouds 
And that silhouette shot, I don't know, it had a lot of gravity to it that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, Book two had that terror for me of the silhouette of the mech that this one did, but mm-hmm. it was when uh, Unalak, like grew tentacles out of his mouth and reached into Korra and pulled out Rava. Like, that was the image for me from book two that I was like, oh, man, crap's getting real. <laughs> and then by the time, like, the Keiju came along, like, that was when we, we got, like, those three episodes dumped or something. So I was just like, how can you keep escalating? And, yeah, then it escalated to Genora. So I just remember that being, like, a swirl of interestingness. But I remember the terror being, like, killing the Avatar line with, like, dark-eyed tentacle grossness. Also very anime, be, though. Yeah, but it might be that if we had all these episodes in a rush it would have felt similar. I think that they were trying really hard to make this a surprise for us because they did seed it with like, where's all the metal from Zalfu going? But, you know, we thought we knew what Kavira's big thing was. And and Mm -hmm. I think a lot of attention was focused on what Varric and Asami were building. And that turned to be out to be a red herring because they just blew those up. We were like, oh, the flying mech suits. Let's think about that and what they're going to look like. I love that they blew them all up. And they just blew them all (laughs) up because that wasn't the point. The point was Kavira's, you know, Iron Giant. So, Do you think she looks like Breadbird's Iron Giant, the weaponized, <laughs> like, I am not a weapon. The legs did to, to me for uh-huh. some reason. Not necessarily the top. But yeah, the Iron Giant. The grim top. Yeah, the Iron Giant's more like a classic 60s, 70s uh, yeah. mech. It's kind of rounder and friendlier, whereas this one's like very lean and angular and terrifying. Uh, it's funny you guys bring up the sort of like silhouette seeing it in the, uh, in the clouds too. Like that is, the more I think about it, the more this is like directly lifted for Evangelion, because there, there are a couple scenes of that uh, in fact, the way that show opens is just kind of a, uh, I don't know, just like a really good uh, lesson in how you can have suspense with a giant freaking robot that you could clearly hear if it's not too far away, but you could still mm. have it be surprising and terrifying. I, I have never watched that show. So good. It's a total yeah. blind spot. But um, I, yeah, are people surprised want, uh, by If you the want robots? to melt your brain, go go watch that show. Are people in that world surprised by the yes. robots and stuff. Okay, because I, I part of what works in this scene is seeing those military outpost guys be like, because <laughs> that was what I was like. And then they blew up. So you're introduced to the robots. Like uh, it, they've been around for like ten years or something. But mm. they're also giant monsters that kind of appear in a similar fashion, and that freaks people out. So uh, I don't know. I got to research. I like how much it tips the scales. Mm-hmm. Uh, term, not to use that phrase again, but like um, how much in trouble Korra is and you know we always knew like the spirit vine weapon was scary and Kovira has already beat uh Korra but she didn't go up against the avatar and now we see I just think it was really smart I you know Dave might be right that the mechanics don't line up but I I think this this matchup is really interesting to me and the fact uh... that Korra and the rest of them have to think personally for Kovira and find Batar and um, anyway, I'm yeah, I mean, excited. For the in terms of the mechanics that we did get, I could only assume that the fact that it's a cartridge-based gun is going to have something to do I with love the... this. This is what you're obsessing about. After <laughs> yeah. this How does it work? You need that art of Star Wars cross-sections book. For now that Legend he's seen the camps, he needs to see the like all the levers the and the. And the uh, I am incredibly <laughs> interested. Well, I'm just like okay. <laughs> That you you have like crazy tech people like me, they're gonna look at this either way. But if it, you show it in the thing, there's a reason. So it either has to be like here are cartridges of spirit vines, they're in the arm, or it could it needs to occasionally reload. It can't just shoot a nonstop moonraker laser forever. 
So I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I like those things because uh, they probably have a when, lot of them though. Well, well, yeah, but like when a when a series is this condensed, it doesn't have time to show you stuff that it just thinks is cool. Uh, so there's got to be a reason that we did see the mechanics that we did see. Or for instance, like you know, the pulling the lever is because you want to see that Kuvira is controlling this whole thing. So I, well, I I'm, I'm interested. That seeing Kuvira <laughs> makes the robot personal. It may, we've been she's been set up as a fighter. She's been set up as an uh, the scariest adversary for Korra, just in terms of like mano a mano fighting so that the fact that she is inside this suit Mm -hmm. makes it her it's just her gigantic right it's yeah her it's still kuvira at the heart of this thing which makes it and that means well but that also means that if it comes to defeating that monster robot it's going to be about defeating the person kuvira not the mechanics like even though batar i i believe batar is still alive after that blast as most of us probably do um I don't think the answer is going to be he's going to tell them which button to push inside the mech suit. It's going to be the revelation that he's still alive and that sort of doing something to Kuvira Unless to throw her off our game. Extract her. I don't see. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Kuvira will go down with the ship. That would be. But I kind of want to see the metal giant sort of slump over and that, be sad, <laughs> like mirroring whatever's happening to Kuvira. She, the, the, the mech drops to its knees. Yeah. Ouch. No! You got kicked in the balls. Uh, <laughs> the mech has balls? The mech has balls, but yes. It's a, it's a man mech, but it's uh, Kuvira driving the thing. It's very yeah, complicated. That's a whole I, other metaphor for You'll get it podcast. in the cross-sections book. It's The whole explanation's <laughs> coming, Dave. Don't worry. Uh, well, the one, the one interesting thing that someone in our comments mentioned was because the mech runs on spirit vines, does that give Korra like a leg up in you know I don't know using her mind to blow him up or something? She can she can bend in the spirit world, yada yada yada. Something about bending mm-hmm. spirit vines. Yeah. And stuff. we have an hour, and they could use that whole hour. It's just Kuvira versus Korra, and I'd be fine. But I feel like we have so many some uh, periphery characters that have been important and that did not get conclusions in any way this week. Um, like even, you know, I think Rohan got a shout out this week by name. So it's like, they're wanted to stay, right? So someone has to babysit. They're reminding us everybody's there. So I'm interested to see how they're going to make the finale be something that is very payoffable for Korra, but also Mm. involves everybody. Book one had a way, found a way of doing that. Right. And so like, initially I would love to see just Korra go in the avatar state and just start, you know, tiny punching this mech suit (laughs) faster than it could like go. But Tiny, uh, tiny punching. What is tiny yeah. punching? It's like it's what like Ant-Man tiny does. dancer. Doop, 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 yeah, you just tiny punch it. Or, you know, you find the exhaust vent if it's the Death Star just or whatever. Stick a but in it. Oh, that's I think it's Beverly yeah. Hills Cop. That's Beverly Hills Cop. So many references. But I'm also interested to see how the finale is going to involve all these different teams and whatnot that we've learned to love and that some of which like Varric and Zuli were kind of left hanging with and how they're going to resolve. Mm. But it's all going to come together in ideally this climactic battle, but there's only one enemy really because the other, the army, other armies surrendered. So it's just all of our good guides versus this giant mech suit with one major person in it. So um, I'm interested to see how they divvy up the uh, finale to have enough for everybody to do. This is the battle of Zalfu that we didn't get in the battle of Zalfu, the Lord of the Rings fight that you were hoping for. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what's interesting about the mech suits, and kind of go back to Dave's qualms with it, um, why it had additional resonance for me, uh, segueing into the rest of this episode, is just how 
yeah, unprepared everyone was in Republic City for this. You know, we we cut back to Cora after we have this Kuvira introduction, and they're talking about you know they have this kind of slow and steady uh, evacuation of Republic City, um, and then and then and then what what happens? Who runs? Bolin interrupts the uh, the meeting again. again. <laughs> You're always <laughs> interrupting my meetings. Um, but yeah, they they have absolutely no idea. What's going on? Did this infuriate anyone, or is this like playing? This added a lot for me, but I don't know. Maybe it was spinning its wheels for other people. They thought they had a week. They thought <laughs> they had two it. weeks. Well, yeah. We thought we. I had thought two she weeks. got no, no, no. They had a week. They had a week yeah. to prepare, and then yeah. She was coming in two she weeks. Was a week they spent a week mm-hmm. preparing already. Yes, mm-hmm. and then she was there. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. That that yeah. was why there were like failed evacuations for a little while. And why we found out Mako is terrible on the radio. Um, oh, yeah, that times. was <laughs> Mako, just a really embarrassing guy. Just, like, does not have it together. You feel, really you feel clear, bad you for guys. him yet? <laughs> Everyone is down on Mako, but, like... I'm a little so, more down on Tenzin. I mean, so even, even here, he's, yes. he was kind of useless. Seriously. Totally useless as a mentor and as a leader or as anything, really. I'm just he's completely no pretending it's because yeah. J.K. Simmons is busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my only justification for whiplash. Yeah. Yeah. My <laughs> only justification. They did have that really awesome this week silent action scene that I really liked. So it's just the abduction of Patar Jr., which that was finally cool. Tenzin yeah. got out of his robes and into yes. his X-Man suit. <laughs> yeah, everyone was ninja. It was great. Um I wanted to ask you guys a question about um the railway station animation because um that's definitely you guys know so much more about animation than <laughs> because I. Because it was that's, weird. Well, it was weird. That's something I've seen before. In I couldn't tell you where, but I've seen it before. But does it look like an artistic choice, or does it look like they were low on budget and they decided to do the railway station in these weird still pan both shots? Both. Both? Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. A, all of those. Both of those sequences where they do the still railway station are, are like people waiting, and so none of those shots really involved that much motion. Except the railway station would have involved like six moving figures, and each time you wanted to show it. So I think that's why those are the stills, and everything else that's in those montages are like people looking out windows or Iroh riding in an airship, which still animation-wise are still moving still layers, not animating actual characters. So I think that that was like. But it's it supposed works. to be a, a panic at the railway station, and instead you just hear the noises, and then like you see Wu pointing. This feels you know, anime it, to me. I don't know. Yeah. Devendra, is this mm-hmm. like traditionally anime? I mean, the, that's uh, to what Dave's saying. Like that, that's just what happens when you yeah you like, say, when you want to put your budget somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. And so they 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 have this huge CG mech suit that's going to be walking mm-hmm. around for the rest of the episode. So they very wisely, you know, designed a whole sequence around not having right. to animate people running through a train station. And we also got the dynamic, like, yeah, kidnapping Batar sequence, too, which, you know, that, that takes some effort. Yeah. So, yeah, I think budgetary reasons, but not because they massaged it in twice. If it was just once, I would have been like, mm-hmm. oh, and then that one shot. <laughs> but because they massaged <laughs> it in twice and they put it in montages of basically similar non-motion, like that tension of waiting before battle. I, I think it worked for me, but I definitely think it was a budget thing. Pl- plenty of other positive material, though, around it, luckily, like... Those two moments are really the only slighted animation moments. It wasn't as distracting as suddenly having a clip show, that's for sure. <laughs> True. 
True. Uh, well, I, what I liked was, okay, sacrifice the air, but then give us, like, weird little animated moments. We get to see um, Tano and Sparkly Bushman during mm-hmm. Wu's big uh, radio broadcast, like, throwing back to some of those characters. And <laughs> like, oh, yeah, Republic City, it's a vivid place with a population of people yeah. we know. And guys, come on! We have not talked about the uh, the Varrican Zuli reunion. Come on! Oh yeah, that's a good point. It was a little. So it good. was weird. It was it's weird. only part one. It's only part. Okay, one. so here's my. Varric's gonna I, come around. Yeah, I've seen. I've seen on the internet both ways where uh-huh. Zuli doing the thing means her standing up for herself, or Zuli didn't do the thing because she stood up for herself. Is the thing <laughs> inherently subservient? I don't know. Doing I mean, the it's, thing. She's if I'm like Joanna, do the thing. Am I being a misogynist? Yeah. Well, if you say it like Varric does, she didn't do the thing. Varric's she's doing her thing. Yeah, okay, she's guys. Doing her thing. I like that. <laughs> her thing. <laughs> yes. Her thing. Um, Varric's version she's of doing it is, her. is always her doing things for him. Yes. Yes. This is exactly sister doing things for herself. You do you. Do yeah. <laughs> but well, I good job, Zulu. Is are they like? Are they a thing? <laughs> I mean, well, it, it was funny they to use that word. Yes. <laughs> I think it it just kind of showed that they're going to have this back and forth. But it is, I don't know, funny to see that Varric didn't learn anything from well, this I mean, whole situation. Right. Could yeah. we Let's take a moment and investigate this. I'm not sure if it's right. But are uh-huh. they the batar Kuvira parallel? <laughs> In um, what way? I think I mean, we need to explore the fact that if even Bolin is shaking his head and being like, oh, Varric, 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 yeah. you know, you know that you've, you've hit a effed low. it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a good shoulder shrug by Varric animation and then Bolin head slap. Yeah. yeah. Was, was um, that's a good question, Dave. I don't. And then is Varric, because Varric was our somewhat villain at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And so on a much lower, he had no death camps scale. Uh, we already like him so much more than we used to. Um, but does he need to give Julie the respect that she wants in order for us to fully, for him to be fully redeemed? Well, like, is, is uh, Varric has, like, the the vision and the talent, and Zuli has the means, but they are incapable mm-hmm. of seeing that that's a pair. Varric still thinks that it's him, much like Kuvira thinks that this is all Kuvira, even though the pieces seem to be assembled with Batar Jr.'s help and, you know, against Batar Jr.'s family. So that just, like, having a unbalanced power dynamic which of what was obviously a team effort all the way through it seems like this episode putting Varric's rejection of a parallel uh, or equal relationship with Zuli against Kuvira deciding to kill Batar Jr. rather than give up her plans could not be a mistake it's a little rougher than some of the other parallels they've tried to make like Asami's father and uh, uh, that uh, guy Zaheer. Yeah, Zaheer. But um, I, think it, I think it still could be there. I think there's something about the way that they're both, you know, there's one of them that's trying to work on a super weapon and the other one that technically kind of wants to do it but really just wants the approval of the other person, not so much the spirit weapon. Is, this is a good question, though, that you bring up, a tangential question. Is Saito going to be recruited to help bring down the giant mech suit? I don't know why you would now because Batar Jr. will... Right. Mm-hmm. And I really no like what, my idea that it should be a be. personal thing rather than a mechanical 
thing, but well, what, I don't what do you know. Mean? I, I don't know how that can be at this point. They've crossed a line, haven't they? Why else do they plant that seed? I mean, I get the parallel to Zaheer, but I don't know why else we had that scene. Maybe to give Asami something to do. Yeah. Because it's probably the last time we'll ever much. see him, too. All right. And where is Asami, by the way? She was here. She was she with him. in on okay. the why we should sneak behind enemy lines. Was, she, was she there at the end, though? Sneak him down. I mean, I my hope is that interrogation room. my hope is that Asami got away with the one flying mech suit because, like, <gasps> yes, you can't, yes, exactly. You and can't she's not come show that hummingbird in. Yeah, right. We're, and there's Asami, definitely got to be yeah. one surviving. We need to one. see that thing in action. Oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I feel a little disappointed not seeing that. She better but, come hummingbirding in with like Milo riding it on the back, just like <laughs> farting up a storm. Yeah, powered by his farts. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm really sad we didn't get to see Asami in the stealth sequence because uh, she feels like very, very ninja person. She very would be the person like that. Yeah. Woman. Yeah, yeah, well, she's that classic noir figure. She could mm-hmm. become a spy. Maybe in the 70s. <laughs> in well, she's time. Batman. She's ba- We've already gone over this. She's Batman. That's she's head very, of the company. Right. She's a superhero. She fights Wait, crime in her spare yeah. time. Yeah. All right. We need to see her in action, though. Queen <laughs> consolidated. All right. <laughs> uh, I did. I mean, I I think we mentioned this already, but I did love that scene where they go across enemy lines and they have their because we we know the mech exists, but now mm-hmm. they see it and the look on Bolin's face is like <laughs> I know what this does. Go now. I know what happens leave, now. Leave. Outrun. Evasive <laughs> maneuvers. Yeah. 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 And just hearing the laser blast. I mean, it's such an accomplishment of sound design to yep. make. I mean, I, I ended up watching this on my computer, um, and even then, I felt this laser blast, like, really close to my ear. I am really glad close. when we talked to them, by the way, that we brought up that specific sound design from the laser, uh, and that they were able to bring it back, too. It's so good. Uh, yes. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it, it is the uh, Unavatu mm-hmm. laser sound, but now it's even, it feels more personal somehow. Can sound feel more personal? It feels... It's a, it's a sad laser now. <laughs> so so what about the the last half of this episode i mean what's interesting here is we get a lot of cora we get that stealth mission which is fun there's a lot of just tragedy here and sadness i just hearing president reiko be like we surrender felt really yeah there's a lot of me and like and this is where the... the historical political references i'm just like feeling the weight of the real world on a lot of these scenes and to watch that mighty fleet just go down i thought she like was anyone else thinking that Cora uh, that uh Kavir was playing it kind of cool and just like hitting the water next to them to show her power <laughs> really she, and then was, no she blew up uh general no, no, iroh's boats the first thing she did is she hit the water next to them, so they were yeah. rocking. And then she just hit them, and I was like, oh, not cool, Kuvira. We yeah. got it. You were powerful. You didn't have to toast It would have been cool people. if, like, her laser shooting is very proper. You know, she sets up the shot, she shoots. But the the robot is so flexible. She should have been, like, dancing a little more and being like, pow, pow, zip, zip, pow. <laughs> Like, yeah, dancing and being, like, just... You're alone on the maybe, maybe in the outtakes. Maybe the outtakes <laughs> yes. will have... In the next clip show episode, when they reanimate this... Uh... Kuvira's Mexican doing the woo dance oh yeah she'll do the prince woo shuffle yeah (laughs) i mean even though the robot is cg animated i like the weight of it in this world and the way her weapon does take time to realign to do yeah yeah i like that it cuts it doesn't blast so Mm -hmm. it's not like she aims at something and it's like and then it blows up she starts the beam and then cuts through stuff is how she does things it's not a real gun it's a steady laser beam it's kind of fun yeah, with the you, voice the voice of God behind it. <laughs> you you get that effect, especially when it shoots through the factory. 
like it slices mm-hmm. through where all the the flying mech suits are and and kind of explodes them from inside out. It's not just poof, it's not the Michael Bay effect where everything just starts exploding. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Dave, you kind of mentioned this at the beginning of the episode. I've two things. We're going to get serious here. Um, all right. One, our commenter Panda Turtle uh, mentioned this. I'm going to read this verbatim. What bugs me the most about this uh, is that both the Earth Queen and Kuvira claim that the United Republic is Earth Kingdom territory. I'm pretty sure Ang Zuko and Earth King Kui talked out uh, the creation of the United Republic, and it was settled that the land would be separated from the Earth Kingdom. So why are why is Kuvira bitter that the United Republic? is not in her control. It just seems so petty. Like, is it really that bad that they don't own that piece of land? Um, and I think you maybe kind of offhandedly mentioned this at the beginning, that it's like, this is what the Israel conflict <laughs> is yeah. all about, right? I mean, people want land. It doesn't seem far-fetched to me that she would want everything. She would sacrifice Batar Jr. to get one little bit more. Like, this is, this is a big deal for her. This is basically, New Jersey and New York have this problem, too. Over um, what uh, problem? Liberty Island. Israel problems. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, we they have their Israel Palestine conflict. It's called Liberty Island, and <laughs> New Jersey wants to own the Statue of Liberty, uh, and it was theirs, and it might actually be theirs. And New York fights them over it, uh, and it's so petty. Like just hand it over, New York, or give it up, New Jersey. But people fight <laughs> this stuff. This is real world problems. Yeah, I do think the Israel uh, example is probably more more appropriate. It has a little more weight. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think anybody outside of this region even knows that New Jersey and New York are at this fight. I well, not. I'm enlightening yeah. people here. I want people to know what problems we face here in New York, <laughs> the battle we're waging. Well, I mean, going back to like the promise, that's what we were talking about when we were talking mm-hmm. about the promise comic series is how much it was Israel and Palestine and how much it was, you know, you have these two uh, ancient uh, interests in the land, but then you also have these people living on it who haven't been growing up uh, in necessarily those same ancient interests. Uh, this is even more crazy because like, now there's a city on that land and now it's like the center of all technological development as far as we know uh, in this world. And it's, it's weird because it's like, Israel means a lot in the real world, but in Republic City, this is like a shining beacon that the Hundred Years' War will never happen again. It's as much a metaphorical city and a city from the first book where we saw a whole bunch of experimentation of benders living with non-benders as it is, you know, a piece of land. Kuvira looking at it as a piece of land is definitely the dictator side of her, I think, not necessarily the side of her that wants the best for the world at large. I wanted someone to dare Mike, touch Mike that. Mic drop? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very sensitive uh, topic, but I mean, I'm, I'm glad that these real-world implications seem so clear. I'm mm-hmm. glad that the comics came back in a way that was like, oh good, I did need to read those. <laughs> Do you guys think there will be more comics in this universe? Because it is a great way to keep There's a universe be. like this alive, like Firefly and everything. They've done a good job with that. And Buffy and Angel. I feel like when yeah. you invest this deeply mm-hmm. into a show, like just saying goodbye to it doesn't make a lot of sense or wouldn't mm-hmm. feel very fulfilling to Mike and Brian. I feel they'll always be attached to this in some way and kind of feeding stories to the comics people might keep that alive for them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, or the, so the many of the hanging, the hanging uh, episodes like Suit Suyin in the circus and uh, Kuvira and Bata's romance. Suyin in the circus. You mean we when we find out that Su and Zaheer were buddies, and, and everyone Su's would be like, "We knew show. it. It didn't mean anything in the show proper, <laughs> but we knew it." <laughs> well, yeah, the, Devinger. That's really a question for next week because. If the whole world yeah, explodes yeah. and Korra like undoes the fabric of time, <laughs> and the the Avatar verse is no more, then who knows? There can't be comics, can there? There can always be comics. Oh, there can always be. Comics. Yeah, there can always that, be that prequels, whatever. I mean, I would love, uh, I would love a Kavira comic. I would love the backstory about what went on Rise here. To power. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want to like read Kavira's Mind Kampf? <laughs> Oh god! <laughs> I just want to see her razor, basically, just like yes. Battlestar. That's what it would be like. Um, let, let me ask you this too. So, I've seen a few <laughs> people on Tumblr complaining that when Kuvira got Batar Junior in the room, that she didn't go far enough to get to the answer. Or um, yeah, Cora, sorry, they're like the same person to me. Cora, Kuvira, yeah, same uh, uh, that Cora didn't go far a, enough. This is a torture question. This is a torture question. Yeah, yeah, time of the week. Have you heard really CIA torture report question? Yeah, kind of is. Well, I'm just surprised to see people asking this question when the week this episode comes out is when the CIA torture. She played report it comes smarter out. though. Yeah. She found the pressure point. She carried Matheson that yep, business. Yep. Wow. She found the right pressure point without having to resort to. Uh, I can't yeah, even mention what bashing. they did. Yeah. yeah. You can't mention what the CIA did on this podcast. Or what she does to her. <laughs> <laughs> like Sue tried. Sue yeah. tried the emotional angle, and Sue was wrong. She was no Corey, Carrie Matheson. And then we have, uh, we have Cora. Cora Matheson. She got it right. Batar Jr. will not be eating kale up his uh, behind anytime soon. So what thing? It wasn't kale. It was like pasta and nuts and uh, and hummus. Yeah. Uh, That's the uh, real the, world. Up yeah, his we don't... behind is the way cute way I was trying to say it, and I stopped. It's the chibi version of I the CIA think torture of report. Up his behind, yeah. Anyway. Um, the, the no. Cool. For me in that scene is that nobody – I looked around the people in the room. I'm like, who's going to step up and do the torturing? And I was like, oh, none of these characters can. His mother is like, there, too, so you can't yeah. – that was really sweet, actually. I liked yeah. that Sue got a moment to be like, of course, what yeah. have I done? That was maybe, really devastating. Maybe Lynn, <laughs> maybe Lynn could have if Sue hadn't been there. Lynn does you know? wear chains. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's pretty Who knows tough. what she's done in her uh, yeah her career? In, in terms of people in that room, Lynn's the only or Sue, Sue's the only person who's killed anyone. <laughs> Who did Sue kill? Oh, pie, 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 yeah, pie metal was her name? around the head. Oh, sparky, God. sparky, boom, boom, woman. Oh, that was just right. saying, in terms of people Prisoner like Blow. capable of doing that sort of thing, Sue would have been. I thought like if Sue, if anybody was going to torture Batar Junior, is going to be Sue, and it was going to be not like her a crossing own line. son. I, 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 it's funny you go to Sue and not, uh, yeah, not the cop who's been doing this for a long time. What's your? <laughs> I thought Sue would just like, well, for, it's like just like bend the, the like little the metal shoulder pads up around the neck, like like Kuvira did. It's like that's why they're there, guys. Yeah, they're there to threaten your 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 employees. Sue keeps armoring herself with metal, which I understand because like you as a metal bender, you can like use it to pull stuff off or whatever. But 
sometimes when she does that, I'm like, you're just giving Kuvira ammunition because we know she likes to <laughs> choke choke people with their own armor and flair. So I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm glad that we did not see any Guantanamo Bay action in uh, Republic City this week. I don't think I don't think we could having having no. someone in the Beifong family doesn't really allow for for true no no they could have done it would just be wrong they could have they could have done it like milo could have showed up and been like finally my farts and (laughs) no no more like they could have done it if they wanted to but they didn't have to do it his farts Uh, are too much of a wild card too much of a wild card i want to talk about something really frivolous um yes please my favorite trend of this year has been I know it was not originated with Macklemore, but the way the Macklemore haircut keeps working its way into pop culture, <laughs> first with Fury, <laughs> then with Penny Dreadful, yeah, and um, now all of Kuvira's men, not the ladies, but all of her men, have the uh, Macklemore Brad Pitt haircut. So Is that shaved on the side? And Yeah, it's, it, it's what Batar is rocking, but like every <laughs> single one of her men has that haircut. So. She demands it. It's part yeah, of being Yeah, she's like, army. Macklemore up, everyone. Let's go. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand that hairstyle because it's so hard to maintain. Yeah. Um, How is it like, hard why? to maintain? You just shave your sides. Let's keep going every day. Every yeah, I don't even shave my face every day. Are you kidding? Yeah, it's insane. Maintain it, but you have to gel it into your swoop into place. Is that true? On top, yeah. Yeah. Why would you have to gel it? Can it patches? I know what I want for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) I want you to try a new hairstyle. I I have enough hair that I could probably do. You could do it. Oh my god! Please, Uh, listeners, write in. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start a Kickstarter campaign. A thousand retweets. (laughs) Uh, God, no! I don't think I could do that. I would be embarrassed. I wouldn't. The upkeep alone. <laughs> Besides, your head would be me. cold. That's for sure. Yeah, the, the winter is not the time to rock the I guess you shave it all over. But I, mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes I just think about Never like someone that. trying to grow the sides out of their Macklemore haircut. Maybe I should do the reverse <laughs> Macklemore. The and reverse. Just shave the top of my head and let the two. I think it's called the Martin Van Buren hair dangles. Yeah, I was going to say, time's going to do that for you, buddy. No. <laughs> well, that was a real downer. Time reverse Macklemore's us all. I like I like that Kuvira's uh, men had personalities. They're not stormtroopers. They're like we haven't gotten to that part yet. That's my favorite part. Like when you ask us what our favorite part is, but spoiler alert: it's when they couldn't find Batar. <laughs> it's like a really long sequence where right, the guy goes like, like uh... "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> And Raiko's like, oh, just give me the phone. Yeah. Just give me the phone. What are you trying to pull here? Uh, uh, we can't find He's it. trying to give up. He's actively surrendering, and they can't do it. That's that true. Hysterical. He's in a position of power there, and he just does nothing with it, too. Raiko is such an interesting character. Like, people have... Uh, we're giving him a hard time last week about wanting to build super weapons and go to war. But he's, like, a nice guy. He's kind of charming. He has wit. <laughs> I he's guess like he he's is politician charming. <laughs> he's a perfect stand-in for democracy, where it's like great idea, horrible execution across the board. <laughs> Always. Is that our definition is. of democracy? Oh. Yep, that's our definition. <laughs> yep, Welcome that's it. America. It All I have to say though is Zuli for president. Let's just let's yes. make it happen. I'm Ooh, behind that. I like that. Yeah. yeah. She she yeah. will need to end this series in charge of something. Yes. Maybe it's running. Maybe it's telling Beric to do the thing and, and running the show. But I'd rather see her escalate and, and she rise. Is, to power. Well, like Asami could hire her. Like she could be Asami's Felicity Smoke or like partner, equal partner. Yeah. With Saito Industries. Man, yeah. I want it to go really dark. Like she's at Beric's grave and she sings "Leave from the Vine." 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> While shaving a Macklemore haircut into her head. Yeah, the final the final beats of the finale jump what, like fifty years into the future? From the vine. Oh, I'm crying already. How how uh before we get to really little moments here as as we were forcibly segued by Johanna. No offense, no. Um Oh, I'm sorry. But we, I, I'm curious about how you see this kind of wrapping up based on what's been thrown in here. If anything was telegraphed, if, you know, how how does this play into balance? And, and I'm still wondering if the spirits show up at some point in this battle and take down the map. They've checked out. Yeah. Are they really checked out? Is that Was that like the final beat for the spirit world? Was that the, the downer moment there? To Maybe be the, like, I could see just, them coming back to help you. break down the uh, the robot because they're like, okay, okay, we get it. Here, okay, spirit energy really being used for a not-so-cool thing at this point. So let's, uh, let's do something. Yeah. I think someone in our comments had the cool idea that Zaheer drags Kuvira <laughs> into the spirit world because that's where Korra can actually fight her. Uh-huh. And I like I like that idea. I'm not sure how that would work, but you know what? We already have a giant mech with a gun on its arm, so like, just show it to me in a way that looks cool, and yeah. I'll buy it. For some reason, I see a giant mech uh, covered in cuddly spirits. Ooh. I feel like the series would do that. The hugging it to death? Yeah, hugging it to get the energy out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's so many questions. I feel like there's a giant table covered in Chekhov's guns. <laughs> right now and i don't really know which ones they'll pick up to shoot because there's toff there's the banyan tree like oh toff's gone i don't yeah, done toff's not coming okay, back okay what about the banyan tree like that's a big there's a banyan tree yeah there's the fact that Korra's core power that she hasn't used against any of these horrible benders is to take bending away i don't think that's well maybe that'll come up yeah. I mean, I don't know how much book one was uh, tied into the overall arc to begin with right. because it was sort of a fluke, but hey, it Mom is sort of a clip show episode. So it's, I know uh, it, it, it is sort of weird that they gave her like this huge power for book one. And then we haven't kind of we haven't talked about it. Well, since. She can, we now from this season know that she can bend in the spirit world. That seems yes. to be a huge. That's one. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, too, if it mirrors the end of Avatar as well. So, yeah, taking away Kavira's powers instead of killing her or destroying her makes a ton of sense. But then it would be just like the finale. And then she can't operate the mech suit, right? Exactly. I mean, that's that's why it's interesting that she has to bend yes. in order to operate it. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so also, also, since Korra is the first of the new lines of Avatar since she got that destroyed, uh, I think there's some basis for a reincarnated Korra after death mm-hmm. uh, that could feel jubilant and like life avatarness goes on uh, with Korra's sacrifice. Not that I think that's where the series is going to go, but that would be a thing that we've Ooh, placed. An epilogue that looks like modern times. <laughs> Cut and away. that's the story of Korra. The legend of Korra. The last thing I want in a world is an epilogue. I hate epilogues. They I'm all have so kids and they meet at the them. train station. Yeah, Harry, Harry Potter. Potter had kids. What yeah. do those kids look like? Uh, what do you have them with? Let's oh, burn that epilogue. Burn geez. it to the ground. I don't I have want a tome it. of shipping requests that uh, I'm hoping to see pay off. But we have no we have no happily ever afters that we still want, right? Like uh, Julie and Varric is the only one we want. We're not like you know, and I guess Bolin and Opal, but we're not shipping anyone with Cora, so we don't. Yeah, Cora will stand alone. You know, like, we're beyond. It's not like Katara whole... and Aang or anything. Well, there's probably yeah. people holding on for Asami and Cora. I'm sure. Maybe. But oh <laughs> yes, me included. That's oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're shipping you and Varric. What are you talking? about? <laughs> Varric is very dreamy. No, Varric, Bolin. international man of mystery. Yeah. Bolin's my main man. How dare you? Nor and Kai. 
Oh yeah, Kai. Kai did get a like a little. uh, He got. He was in when Kai isn't on screen. All the other characters should be asking, "Where's Kai?" (laughs) Yeah, there was a great. There was a great frame of all the Airbenders like preparing for battle. Kai's hair was like ruffling heroically in the wind. It was good. Dreamboat. Get get (laughs) on Tiger Beat immediately. There's so many characters. This has to be like half an hour of battle and half an hour of a series of Lord of the Rings. We'll die. We'll see. We will finally see who dies. Tens and dies. Hashtag. Pabu lives. Pabu, Pabu, Pabu lives. lives. Yeah, I, was Pabu in this episode? Didn't see him. I did not see Pabu. Yeah, he was probably know. in half the episode. We will see a Pabu mech coming. Oh my episode. gosh. Yes, Pabu that's what saves flying the, the hummingbird mech. Yes. <laughs> Wait, that actually, that's a very Star Wars moment. If we're going to have a true Star Wars moment, it has to yeah. be like Pabu accidentally gets in the mech and drives it into the... Oh, Anakin career. Skywalks his way. Oh, yes. God. Uh, uh, I like erased that scene from my mind. <laughs> it's actually, no, it's, it's the Qui-Gon baby. told me not to, what? Sorry. It's Pema's baby jumps in the, yes. the flying mech and then P- Pabu actually pulls all the the levers to make it work and they are the ones <laughs> or like in a boomy like fashion the baby's chasing pabu around the interior of the mech pressing all the correct buttons at the correct time where's where's kaya in this is she like was she visiting katara katara's like you know what we do we sit these conflicts out we are too old <laughs> but my whole family is, nah, don't know don't worry about uh, it just take every, it easy. only the airbenders it'll all work out oh poor kaya people are actually i've seen a bunch of people upset about Kaya not really mm-hmm. being around just to have more female presence. That house that, so. is canceled. It's not like that actress is gunning for an Oscar or anything. <laughs> Actually, like no, she she's has, on a no. new show. She has a show on Bravo now. Oh, yeah. Bravo. Has Bravo. Come on. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm taking it we have absolutely no idea how uh, things are going to play out in this. <laughs> that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I don't want it to be too telegraphed. So I'm amazed that they've been see. able to. That's how I felt about this episode. Like, how uh-huh. did I not see any of this really coming? I guess I just figured, yeah, she'd show up in two weeks, and oh, you think they're coming by train? That makes sense. They have a giant yeah. laser. Yep. I, I believed it because we were like, oh, it ties up so conveniently with the series finale. Like two weeks, okay. The career's gambit got us all. Man. Got it all. Okay, <laughs> little, little moments. Anything from this episode that that stands out as we wrap up here? Joanna had had her. Already had maybe, mine, maybe, yeah. maybe you have one more. I'm mm. demanding it. <laughs> Putting you on I the don't. spot. Uh, oh, me first to come up with one yeah. more. Oh, uh, yeah. Nope. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, ah. I do. of course, I do. Of course, I do. Uh, I will be making this myself. But if any of our listeners want to do some fan art of um, casting who's Patches, who's Devinder, and who's Dave <laughs> when it came to Wu and Mako and Lynn like podcasting in the middle of the episode. Oh so, my god! Cast. Yeah, that needs to be our. Still I already, thing. I already dreamcast them, but but I want. I'm interested. You in have what ideas. Oh, please reveal next week. I'm glad these are the things you think about when uh, watching the show. Yep, not Israel. That's for <laughs> not sure. Israel. Yeah, I'm plagued by these thoughts. I'm not saying I enjoy it. Devendra, anything? Uh, anything? I I feel like my small moment is the giant moment. I love the giant robots and everything about it because it did bring back all my uh, teenage memories of watching Evangelion and uh, the kind of uh, that show's messed up, folks. Like, if you want to see how far cartoons can go, uh, go see that. Or it what, is what, what's um, messed up about it. It was uh it deals a lot with psychological issues and loneliness. It is depressing as hell and the director had like a uh, he had a mental breakdown in the middle of the series and you can actually tell 
like the specific episode where it happens to because like everything just goes crazy oh so i love I, I love that the giant robot kind of brought all those wonderful memories back dave <laughs> uh there's a lot to like what i want to like the most that is really difficult um i don't know i don't want to joanna already did like the radio thing but i like the idea that um Mako's solution is just to be very policeman about it. Like, I like Mako's very slow evolution as a policeman from being like, I'm going to be the greatest cop that's ever existed to like, uh-huh. I'm just, I just need to be adequate. Adequate is what gets you through. <laughs> and you want to have a long career. <laughs> no, he's being the best by the book cop there is. I that's love the how boring thing. he is. Yeah. I really enjoy By the it. book sucks. Yeah. Aww. I mean, but like in, being caught in between Lynn and the two crappy cops from book two, it was like, oh man, Mako's going to become the super cop. But instead, he's just settled for just like the adequate cop. This Please is like the wire. your evacuation handbooks. Wow. <laughs> yes. The wire of how, how idealism how you, gets beaten down. Yeah. How do you think that Faustino feels about going from like the romantic, the cool, bender cool heartthrob to. <laughs> uh, I, I bet he's okay with it. Yeah. I mean, he's getting paid. It's like. It's like did PJ Byrne did PJ Byrne know that Bolin was stupid all the way through, or did that he fall into that as well? Did PJ Byrne know that Bolin was going to become the secret star of the show or not? Who knows? I don't know. Nobody knows. Team Bolin. Team Bolin. You can't be that self-aware in (laughs) in an acting gig. Um, My my little thing. I really liked. I think after they all surrender, Korra and General Iroh are together in their like tent, their planning tent. And um, General Iroh has this, like, bead of sweat rolling down his his face because he's so nervous. And I thought that was really great. Like, I think I love the little details, the animation details in the show mm-hmm. um, that speak to character. And just seeing this guy who, like, in book one, rocket fire bent around the sky and, like, shot fire at, I don't know, it was, it was all the um, separate, or the equalists. He's so powerful, and yet he's terrified of seeing this giant mech robot thing. And it made me scared. It made me more scared. Everything was so scary in this episode. Um, yeah, and I also like seeing Batar get bagged. Yeah. Like, they really, there's no, it's not a very ceremonious <laughs> moment when they kind of storm in. They just grab him, push him against the glass, and throw a bag over his head. Yoink. I'm like, yeah. that's true to life. It's a very Simpsons moment. Seal Team 6. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that wraps up our discussion on kuvira's gambit next week double episode hour long it's gonna be intense it's gonna be the end it's gonna be the end of an era uh for us i mean it's a big deal but uh until then why don't we tell people where they can find us on the internet davindra Oh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. I write a podcast about movies and tv at slash film.com and i write about technology at engadget.com joanna uh, you can find me most days on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This, or you can listen to the comic book podcast that I am doing with Dave called The Thought Bubble. Dave. Uh, Twitter at DA7E, other podcasts at FightingInTheWarRoom.com, superhero movie news and Star Wars at Latino-Review.com, and Mega Franchising at Forbes.com. Mega Franchising. You're actually producing the Mega Franchises now at Forbes. I want to uh, make that the term that I am a cliff note in long after I die. Oh, that, it will like, be on the Wikipedia page for mega franchising. Oh, I, I hope so. Since printed books will be long gone. 
<laughs> giant giant octopus versus mega franchise is that yeah <laughs> that'll be his that's the biopic that's dave's biopic <laughs> uh and i'm matt patches i'm on the internet uh what, if, what am i doing uh, i write on the internet and put it on my tumblr which is mattpatches.com and i'm on twitter at mr patches and i uh, recap cora at screencrush.com and I'm, i do my pop culture podcasting with dave at fighting in the war room and uh yes until next week the final episodes of legend of Korra are upon us <laughs> i don't, awful I don't sound. know was that your spirit <laughs> beam or was that your farts like, being for a second i thought you were gonna go into like the but then it just became a sad groan yeah can you be a little lovelier here i'm a little more elegant lead us into our music cue <laughs> no way, I should be a leaf from the vine, little soldier boy. <laughs> okay, we're done. Leaf from the vine, falling so slow, like fragile tiny shells drifting in the foam. Little soldier boy. Come marching home, brave soldier boy, comes marching home.